Need a little bit of housekeeping this morning. I've got uh, a communication uh, from Ben Young, personal letter from Ben Young this morning. He asked me to read this to you. He, he writes, hello friends of 1111. I'm writing you today as proof of life. Despite the rumors, I've not been eaten by a shark off some obscure top secret surf location. I'm still alive. In full transparency, I've been doing some foreign mission work this summer in our 9.30 Woodway and 11 o'clock West worship services. The people there are not as nice as all of you. They don't laugh at my jokes and they're old. Not my words, these are his. Then he goes on, and this is the part I thought was just super gracious. He says, today, you have Terry Kurtz preaching in my stead. Oh, that's, that's so sweet. I slipped someone a 20 back there before they came in. You have Terry Kurtz preaching in my stead. You will enjoy his sermon. He's clever, handsome, and has an impeccable fashion sense. Then he writes, I miss you all. Hugs and kisses, Ben Young. So... A letter from Ben this morning. If you don't know, our summer series at Second has been uh, encounters. We've been talking about life-changing encounters. If you've been at Second for very long, you know that our summers here are full of just that. We just wrapped up VBS on all of our campuses. It was one week, the same week, at all of our campuses, all six locations, and we saw over 1,100 kiddos make a decision for Jesus Christ. It's 1,100. Just before that was beach retreat, our junior high and high school beach retreat, we saw nearly 1,000 students baptized over those two weeks. Isn't that incredible? Once again, we're spoiled. There's not very many churches on the planet that see that type of fruit in the course of one summer. I spent many years going to beach retreats, both weeks. Uh, I spent 13 years, along with a handful of other people, getting to participate in a very uh, intricate part of the planning and execution of all that. My good friend Lauren Hall is right over here. Lauren, along with some other people, give leadership to those events. And so we got to do that together for 13 years. I love those two weeks. One of my most favorite things to do at beach retreat was to be out at the buses on Friday morning as kids would load up, specifically at high school, as kids would load up to head back to Houston. If you don't know, Beach Retreat starts on Sunday, runs all the way through the week, Friday morning, our kids get out of bed, they're tired, they've had like an hour of sleep, they're cranky, they're dragging their luggage in their suitcases, and they wind up at the street, and we would always have a team of people, volunteers, staff, who would greet them, good morning, help them get their luggage on the bus. One particular uh, Friday morning, I think it was summer of 2013, I've got a picture from that morning. This is that Friday morning loading buses at Beach Retreat. Uh, I'm in the far left compartment, my good friend Andrew Nix, who was the student pastor at the South uh, Cypress campus in those days, and then Michael Head on the right was the student pastor at the West campus. I was here at Woodway. It was, a, it was a, a tropical storm had blown in on Friday morning. It was raining 
cats and dogs. Those of us who were there, it was raining nonstop. And so we would load kids up and we would hop back in the compartment of the bus just to seek some shelter and get out of the rain. Another campus would walk down because they come out by campus, another campus would walk down. We'd hop out back in the rain, loading luggage into the bus. And I liked that job because it gave me a chance to come face to face with teenagers, many of whom had a life-changing encounter. Let me just tell you something. When you look into the eyes of someone who is 24, 36, 48 hours off of a transformational experience with Jesus Christ, they look different. Would you agree with that? People, when they've encountered Jesus, look different. And oh, by the way, we're supposed to look different. And so they'd walk up and I'd look them in the eyes and many of them I knew and I knew their story, I knew where they came from. A lot of them come from broken homes. Some come from homes that aren't broken, but they come from addiction or abuse or terrible forms of anxiety or eating disorders. I could go on and on and on and on. But as they walked up and I looked in their eyes, you could see the light had come on. The light had come on. They, the, the weight that was on their shoulders seemed to be gone. There was just a smile and a sense of life about them that had not been there before. They had had a life-changing encounter and they were different. Here's my thought today. Here's my thought. Here's what we're gonna talk about. What does life look like in the aftermath of an encounter? What does our lives, what should our lives look like in the aftermath of an encounter? And I want us to look at a very familiar text, a text most of us have heard probably numerous times, but I think it's probably the most famous encounter as far as a, a life being transformed right in front of our eyes in all of Scripture, let's open up together Acts chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to break this down into two chunks. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 5 is the encounter. For those of you who are taking notes, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, it is the encounter following all the way 6 through 20. Verse 8 through 20 is all about the aftermath. And so let's read this chunk of text together. Acts chapter nine, verses one through five. Would you stand with me this morning as we read the word together, please? Verse one says this. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked for the letters from him to synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found anyone belonging to the way, talking about the Christian faith, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so as he was traveling, it happened. He was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Verse five, and he said, who are you, Lord? And the voice said, he said, I am, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Father, as we look at your word today, may it be fresh. May it change us. May it encourage us. Father, just don't let it leave us the same. Teach us through your word today. We ask these things in Christ's name. 
Amen. So in this text, please have a seat. In this text, we were introduced to this guy, Saul. We know he would later become Paul. Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Roman name. It was very common for people in those days to have two names. So if I use Saul, Paul interchangeably today, I'm talking about the same person. Let me help you understand why this encounter is so significant, profound, and so powerful. Because we know this about Paul or Saul. We know that he was a murderer. Verse one tells you all you need to know about him. Verse one says he was breathing out murderous threats. He was vicious. Saul had one goal in mind. It was to eradicate Christianity. That was it. That was his life. It was the essence of his life. He was a murderer. He would go from home to home. Picture this. He would go from home to home, pull men and women out of their homes, in front of their families, in front of their children, take them back to Jerusalem, bound, put in prison, and potentially, eventually, put to death. That's the person we're talking about. That's the kind of man that had this encounter. And that's significant for one very important reason. Knowing all that, and knowing the state of his life, we see what? God moving towards him. God moving towards him. All that Saul had going on, all that he was, all that he was involved with, all the hatred, all the anger, all the murder, all the vile things that he was doing, God was moving before him. Before we unpack this aftermath, I want you to understand something very important. It's a very important theological principle that we need to understand, and it's this. An encounter is the result of a heavenly pursuit. An encounter is the result of a heavenly pursuit. Listen to what C.S. Lewis wrote. The great C.S. Lewis, the great writer, theologian, wrote about his own conversion experience. In his autobiographical work, Surprised by Joy, he writes this. You must picture me alone. Night after night, feeling the steady, unrelenting approach of him who I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. I gave in and admitted that God was God, knelt and I prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. That's the thrust of the whole of scripture. God pursuing his creation. Can I help you understand something? Just like Saul, it doesn't matter where you are in life. It doesn't matter what you've gone through, what you've done, where you've been. You don't have to get God's attention. You don't have to wave your arm and say, hey, God, don't forget about me in spite of all that I've done. Don't. Listen, God is pursuing his creation. Remember the garden? What happens in the aftermath of Adam and Eve? Genesis chapter 3, read it. After they have sinned, where do we find Adam and Eve? They don't run towards God. They run away from God. And when you get into that chapter, you find them what? Hiding in the garden hiding behind the trees. And when you read Genesis chapter three, verse eight, what does it say? 
It's something so simple but so profound. It says, Genesis chapter three, verse eight, the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Where, where are you? God pursuing his creation. An encounter is not something we initiate. It's not something we design. It's not something we have to create. God is the one who draws people to repentance. And that's good news. An encounter is his idea. Look at verse four. In the same way that God called out to Adam in the garden, he calls out to Saul. Look at what it says, verse four. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Notice Paul's response, verse five. Who are you, Lord? Who are you? Don't miss the significance of that. To that point in his life, Saul's whole life had been about understanding God. He had studied under Gamaliel, which was a huge deal. He was a superstar of the Jewish faith. He knew the law frontwards and backwards. He followed the law. From the outside looking in, he was a good religious man. But catch this, he did not recognize the voice of God through the resurrected Christ. How many people will go through life just like that? They know a tremendous amount about God. They know the scriptures. They've heard it all. They even go to church. But they don't recognize the voice of God through a resurrected Christ. The first thing we see in the aftermath of an encounter is simple, awareness. There's awareness. In the aftermath of an encounter, there is awareness. An awareness of what? Who God is and who we are. When you look at the writings of Paul, one thing becomes crystal clear about that man. He knew who he was and he knew who God was. Look at what it says, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. He says this, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am chief. In other words, I am the chief of sinners. Paul knew, Saul knew who he was. He testified to the church in Corinth, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Ephesians chapter three, he wrote this, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Can I ask you a simple question this morning? How do you see yourself? In the aftermath of an encounter, there's awareness. Awareness of what? Who God is and who we are. You don't need to walk out of this room feeling bad about your brokenness, but you need to keep it in front of you. Paul had this way of keeping his brokenness in front of him so that he could further understand, appreciate, and live inside the good news, the grace of God. How do you see yourself? How did Paul gain that awareness? How, how did he, what caused that to happen in his life? I think it's verse eight. Look at, look at verse eight. 
It says this. This is in the aftermath. This is after the encounter. It says, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. Would you close your eyes just for a second? It's not the invitation, so don't get excited. Just close your eyes. Everyone, just go ahead and just close your eyes. Can you imagine three days, no sight? You know he's scared. His whole life had just been turned upside down. He, he, he all of a sudden was beginning, he just had an encounter with Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. He knew the rumors. He, he was dealing with Christians day in, day out. He knew what they were saying. And so here this Jewish prestigious religious man is. He's just had an encounter. His whole life has been turned upside down, and now he can't see anything. How did Paul gain that awareness? How did he, where, where did that come from? Open your eyes. I think it came from those three days. I, I think that his, his awareness, his ability to see himself the right way came from those three days. I, mean, I think that when you don't know what to do, eventually you start bumping into yourself, right? You, you really want to take a deep look in your life, in your heart, go through tragedy, and that's what happens. We start to look deep inside and we start to see things we couldn't see before. I think this, I think that God took Paul's sight so he could see himself. Let me say it again. I think God took his sight so that he could see himself. In 1772, John Newton wrote a song that all of us have song since we were little kids. Song Amazing Grace. Do you know why he wrote that song in 1772? John Newton wrote that song about his own personal encounter that he had with Christ. See, John Newton was not a Christian most of his life. As a matter of fact, he was just like Saul in some ways, the complete opposite. John Newton was a slave trader. John Newton from England back in the 1700s, would sail up and down the African coast trying to capture slaves to bring back to England. And upon one of his voyages, he and his crew came upon a, a storm, or a storm came upon them. And it took out a majority of his crew. And it tells, Newton tells the story that in the midst of that storm, fearful of death and afraid of what was gonna happen, he cried out to God. And to make a long story short, the storms have subsided. And from that day forward, Newton was a changed man. In the aftermath of an encounter, he was a changed man. He went back home to England, quit the slave trading business, enrolled himself in what we would refer to today as seminary, and began to learn scripture and began to minister and love people for the rest of his days. And that song, Amazing Grace, he wrote about his own encounter with Jesus. I wonder if we really understand or can appreciate 
the tears that flowed from Newton's eyes when he wrote the words to that song. Have you ever really listened to those words? You know, when he wrote that, he just wept. And we sing it all the time. I wonder, 1111, this morning, in light of what we're talking about here, in light of now that you know why and how the song came to pass, and we're talking about awareness of who God is and who we are and how much we need his grace and mercy in, his, in our lives, I wonder if we could just sing that song together this morning with some newfound passion, with some newfound understanding. Could we do that? JJ, would you lead us in a song, Amazing Grace, a few times, please, sir? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was blind, but now I see. The first thing we see in the aftermath of an encounter is awareness. The second thing that we see in experience is an assignment. Look at verse 17. Ananias went to the house and entered it. If you know the text, you know, you remember that God instructed Ananias, although he was reluctant to go, to go to where Paul was staying, Saul was staying and lay hands on him. It says this, Ananias went to the house, he entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again, he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Look at verse 20. At once, at once, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. I've always loved verse 20. Some translations say immediately. Immediately he began to preach that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. When we give our lives to Christ, there is a divine redirection of our gifts, of our passions, of our abilities. God has an assignment for you. Do you know that? In the aftermath of an encounter, 
There's an assignment. We aren't saved to sit on the sidelines. We've been rescued so that we can participate in this thing called the gospel. God has an assignment for you. When you give your life to Christ, the passion, the talents, the gifts you have, maybe you were using them in a certain way in your previous life, God takes those, he baptizes them, and guess what? He wants you to use them in what? the kingdom. He wants you to use them for his kingdom's work. And you say, but I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do, Terry. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but man, I wanna, I wanna teach a Bible study or I wanna lead a ministry or I wanna get, let me tell you where you start. It's where, it's where Saul started. Where'd he start? Verse 20, it says, he began to preach. He began to share the good news. That's where he started. If you wanna see and understand and discern the assignment that God has for your life, here it is. Start participating in the power of the gospel. And he'll take care of the rest. If you're in this room this morning, you say, you know what, I know I need to be doing more. I don't know where that is. Start participating in the gospel and see where God takes you. I promise you, he's gonna put you where he wants you to be. God has an assignment for your life. I really do believe the first part I said is true, that God took Saul's sight so he could see himself. I think he gave it back so he could see others. I think he gave his sight back so he could see others. I think as soon as his sight came back, he had what I call as holy heartbreak, right? It's the same heartbreak that we read about with Jesus in the Gospels. What does it say over and over and over again in the Gospels? Jesus saw the crowds and he had what? Compassion on them. Holy heartbreak. His heart broke for people. I think as soon as that sight came back, I think Saul had just that. I think his heart began to break for people because he knew he had an assignment and he got to work. The third thing, the last thing we see in the aftermath of an encounter, and this is really simple. There's an awareness, there's an assignment. Last but not least, there is an adventure. There's an adventure. If we had time this morning to look at the rest of the life of Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, time and time and time again, we could read verses that point to this great adventure that God had him on. It wasn't always easy, and Paul wrote so much about his trials and about the situations that he was in. But you could tell in his writings, he was on a great adventure with the risen Savior. His, that encounter he had on the road to Damascus had changed everything. Everything. We have no idea what God has for us. Would you put that picture back up? We started with the, the picture from Beach Retreat. I look at that picture, it's been a decade ago now, and I was in my early 30s in that picture. I, I look back at my life, and I had my own road to Damascus conversion experience. God radically changed my life. I don't know how I wound up where I am today. It scares me. Standing up here and doing this, it frightens me. 
And I look back and I go, God, how in the world did you bring me from a 19-year-old kid riddled with drug and alcohol addiction to doing this at this church? When Second Baptist Church called me in 2009 to come on this staff, I cried. My wife will tell you, we were in Sepulpa, Oklahoma. I cried. I never thought a church like this would want me to be on their team. I got the phone call on a Friday. I can tell you the time. It's like right before noon on a Friday, February of 2009. I was serving lunch to high school kids out of an old, broken, beaten down church building in Sepulpa, Oklahoma. Eric Heisted called me and said, hey, why don't you come be a part of our church staff? I went home and I cried. God wants to use you to do great things. He has an assignment for you. It's an adventure. It's an adventure. It's a beautiful, wonderful, scary, frightening adventure. Can I tell you and show you where it starts? Look back at verse eight. Verse eight, it says this. After he got up from the ground, he couldn't see it. It says this, they led him by the hand. They led him by the hand. Can you imagine the trust that must have required in that moment with Saul? Can you imagine what he was thinking? I think as he gripped the hands of those men that day, I think in some supernatural way, I think in some supernatural way, he felt the presence, and in some ways it was almost like grabbing the hand of Jesus Christ. And Jesus led him exactly where he wanted him. And this great adventure in the life of Saul, who would become Paul, started with trust with a hand that was reached out in trust. Do you have that same awareness in your life? Do you know who God is and who you are? Are you living in his grace? The same grace that saves you, the same grace that sustains you, are you living in that grace? Do you have that awareness? Are you participating in the assignment that he has for your life? He wants to use you to do great things. And oh, by the way, it's a beautiful, beautiful adventure. Won't you take his hand?